0: Atlanta a city with 18 sister cities around the world that never keep in touch the whole world improv theater podcast brought to you by whole world improv theater Atlanta's original home of improv here are your hosts artistic director Chip Powell and a man who thinks Ben and Jerry are national heroes they are John Mihalik. oh my gosh they so are (gasps) whole world should submit an ice cream flavor I don't know how people go about that. Ooh! oh my gosh, that would be so What would be in it, John? What would you have in your whole world Ben & Jerry's ice cream? A bunch of sarcasm, if that's what you would have. What does sarcasm taste like, John?
1: Bitter and fruity. Hey everybody, it's John. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's part two of our interview with Grant McGowan. Now, we're going to be deconstructing some plays that Grant directed at Pinchin' Ouch Theater. First, we'll be talking about Glengarry Glen Ross. Chip was in this play with one of our alumni, Ethan Smith. Then, we'll be going into Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, where Chip was joined by our own Emily Riley Russell. Grab your notebooks, because we're about to take a masterclass. I've worked with you to do groundbreaking work with Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and you make it your own. You don't go by the norm. Like I can remember when Ethan Smith came to me and he was like, I'm going to be in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross with you. I was like, isn't this your first scripted piece? And he was like, yes. I was like, well, thank God you got Grant McGowan because this is going to be tough. And to have that energy with him, and work with him and Under Your Direction, which was so great. I think each night, and I love that we switched characters. It was great to know that every night's performance was based on that moment and that time and that connection. And it was so different and refreshing to do each and every night because it wasn't gonna really be the same experience.
2: Right, right. Yeah, one thing that is really important with good acting and improv is the element of spontaneity. So even though we have scripted work, we were like word perfect on those lines, and they were not easy lines to learn with uh, Glenn Gary, Glen Ross, and David Mamet's writing. But the spontaneity came, the improvisation, as I do air quotes, came from the subtext. You know, so one thing I tell actors when I teach them is that they are writers, but not that they're writing the text. You know. Let's be respectful to the writers, the playwrights and learn these words, word perfect, but we can write the subtext and we can say whatever we want with that if we're good actors. And, uh, you know, if we have the right training, but that's where the freedom comes. And that's where the way it really, I think it's the way it should be, because here's what's cool about improv is when you don't know what's going to happen next, neither does the audience. And that is so exciting. That's like a sport. That's like great sports. We don't know who's going to win. We don't know what's going to happen. Anything could change. And when the story starts to feel performed and I guess stale and the performance and we kind of see what's coming, the actors start to anticipate the next moment. I think the audience does too. And a lot of times this happens on a very subconscious level. Yeah, with Glenn Gary, we definitely allowed for an element of spontaneity and we wanted the shows to feel unique that we were giving each audience a unique experience but we have of course had so much fun with that and it kept us on our toes. And I think it it kept us enjoying the performances because you really had to listen to the other actors, because even though they're saying the same line, the subtext might be different. And what I mean by subtext is like the emotional statement, you know, so a line could be to be or not to be, but the emotional statement could be, I'm I'm disappointed in you to be or not to be. That's the question. Mm -hmm. Or it could be, I really admire you. To be or not to be, that is the question. You know, it could be whatever you feel, really, in that moment. And if you're listening to that, it it kind of changes the performance a little bit. It allows for some nuances in the performance, which is really what it's all about. You know, I, I really think that is, separates the, the great actors, is the nuances, the little details that we put into this work. But yeah, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? And then Ethan, yeah, Ethan Smith, who was another whole world alum and honestly one of the funniest people I've ever seen. He's a fascinating guy too, because in real life he was kind of introverted. You know, he wasn't the yeah, most yeah. um, but in on the stage, he was like the most fun out, just really comfortable and comp- just yeah, just he was a scene stealer a lot of times because he was just so funny. I knew that he understood comedy and understood just how to how to be. understood story and how to be an actor just from his work with whole world so i it just no doubt in my mind that he could he could learn acting um i love those moments like i I, there's a few people that i think i've taught or and worked with as actors and they were kind of at the time inexperienced and they were very humble about it like i i taught bubba carr who was a master choreographer and he still works in town but yeah him bubba and ethan were both like very like oh god Oh, am I doing it right you know and just kind yeah. of a little nervous you know there was a moment where he came backstage after doing a scene and was just like uh I think I really was horrible just now and I was like you just killed it <laughs> I was like yeah, no. yeah. He,
1: was <laughs> he was like I don't think I got running ass. lines and he would and, uh, do the same thing he would be like I'm not yeah. funny this isn't good I was like are you kidding me like you're fucking nailing it He was so subtle in a way that was direct. And it was just, he nailed it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a different
2: experience. Obviously, it was a different audience. The whole world audience is very vocal, very loud with their laughter. And pension Out Theater is more intimate, you know, as far as I'm concerned. They were laughing a lot. Even though we have to learn as artists, you don't always need to get laughter to know that they're really enjoying it. A lot of times at the, at our theater, the audiences stay quiet, and that's because they're just absolutely involved in their mind on the show. They're really they're really experiencing it. But yeah, I remember coming out of Whole World and performing at other theaters and thinking, "Am I doing a bad job?" Or <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and then you eventually realize, actually, just you know, there are different flavors, different environments for theater. Sometimes people are simply. When they're experiencing theater, they're thinking more and they're feeling more and they want to be a fly on the wall. They want to be quiet and observe.
1: Don't base your performance off the audience reaction because you lead yourself up to disappointment if they're not reacting because then you change what you're doing on stage. And if you just stay true to what it is that you've committed to and follow through, then they still enjoy the performance there might not be as much laughter. So, you know, on a lighthouse night here, we might not be getting the laughs that we're used to. And I always want to make sure they know, yes, we want to reach out and touch them and let them feel something as far as what our performance is. But don't base it on what you're getting as a reaction. Just be in that, right. movement, in that scene, in that time and give your truth. And then you'll have a good scene. Right. The
2: other issue with that is you become a validation seeking artist when you want or need laughter from the audience. I think a lot of this happens on a subconscious level, but what that does is you're taking away at that point. You're no longer giving back to the audience. You're taking their energy when you need laughter to perform or when you need something. So it's just better to just relax in the performance. Know that it's not just you giving a performance and then they have to listen. I mean, it's a two-way relationship. They are going to give energy back. But I think the more that you allow them, you come in openly with how they respond and you don't shame that experience because sometimes their experience is uncomfortable and distasteful and sometimes angry at what you're doing. But you also learn that those are good emotions, also. You know, those emotions are just as good as happy and pleasant.
1: I come from a stand-up experience before I started improv, right. and laughter was how you measured yourself as a stand-up yeah. comedian. You have to learn that. That was an adjustment for me as a performer. You get all these emotions from the audience.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think what I try to do these days as a performer and a director and producer is just allow the audience to experience the work how they want to experience it not try to control or manipulate them and be like you have to listen to this or you have to laugh at this but be open to their experience i just want them to keep coming back you know i mean you don't have to like everything at pension Out theater you don't have to love everything some of these stories i mean as when i was doing stand-up comedy and and another reason I did that was because I was fearful of it. I seemed I was terrified, but I did it for a while. Eventually I did it long enough that I became pretty good at it, but I started to not want to make the audience laugh. Like I started to enjoy the silent moment. And at some point I wanted to do drama. I think I recognized that there are other emotions than just laughter, sadness and, um, and love and compassion and fear. And, Anger and all these emotions that we experience, and we give the audience. And it's about the story, mm-hmm. you know. If you're telling the story about racism, you don't necessarily need or want the audience walking away feeling happy. And oh, how funny is that? No, you. I mean, it, you s- sometimes want to leave them feeling angry and uh, uncomfortable, and that can be great work. Also, there's so much. It's it's so good, and I think when, once you realize, like everything's good it's just what in terms of the emotional gamut you know everything's good everything's fair game to work with as an artist then the question is just what story do i want to tell today i have different moods sometimes i just want to do stupid stupid comedies and we've done some of the dumbest shows that are just funny to me you know with the stupidest premises i mean there's many reasons to be an artist okay and i think There's no right reason to be an actor, I think, or a performer. But, you know, sometimes it's about you. And that's fine. Like, it's sometimes fine to do a work for yourself because I just enjoy this. This is just fun to me. Other times it's about the audience. And, you know, like, this is a story that needs to be told. They need to experience this. And it has a community or impact, perhaps. And then other reasons is just the money. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing wrong with that.
0: You've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is 8 weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com, and that's theater with an R E at the end because we're fancy. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, the sweetest smelling office of cultural affairs in the world.
1: We did Virginia Woolf. You did two different casts, two different performances. I felt like the one that Emily and I were on was a different exploration into your technique. Because you came down and you made suggestions and you Mm -hmm. put things into place that really made it edgy. I mean, for people to sit through three acts is not easy. And to keep every audience engaged for all three acts, I thought was pretty fucking impressive. I recently worked with Russ. McCoy. And Russ came up to me after one of the shows and he said, I am a huge fan of Virginia Woolf. I've seen it over 40 times in every city you can think of. And he's like, by far, this was the most unique performance that he had ever seen of that. But it was impressive to me because, like you said, you paid homage to the script. But yet you also use the thought process to kind of change the way of the thinking of the performers still using the dialogue. And I thought that was so amazing. It was like the best ride ever. And I loved it. Well, here's my approach to theater. So you
2: usually start with a piece of writing or as an improv, you don't. But the work should always adapt to the people that are working on it if everybody's bringing something within themselves that's unique, their unique truth, so to speak, to the work. And that's what we did with that show. We really put your personalities into it, like your creativity into it. Here, you guys are both these great improv actors and you have this chemistry and we try to incorporate that into the work. Also, what I try to do is Kind of, I guess, give balance to whatever the writing is. A lot of times people read a play as a director and they say, oh, this is what it is. You know, it's like clearly an argument scene. Let's make it a bigger argument. Characters are yelling, fuck you at each other. It's like, well, let's have them break something. You know, it's like they want to give that moment muscle. But I often look for balance. You know, I look for, well, let's maybe play the opposite emotion and see how that works, or at least let that be on the table because that's when I think you really get balance and dynamics in a performance when the the lines are not taken literally. That play especially, because that is about a married couple and they really have a lot of emotional baggage, a toxic relationship, if you will. They're just giving each other shit all night, getting drunker and drunker by the minute and um, really taking the gloves off. But anyways, it, I knew that some level of balance would make that interesting so it was fun to see you guys just zing zing lines at each other but almost with a, a smile yet at moments and then there's other moments where you would send those same zings but you were kind of maybe sad or regretful about it and
1: But I think that was was also the part of the rehearsal that was great that you come in and say, you know, we're going to rehearse it this way. But now, like you just said, do the opposite. So we were doing it different ways until you found something that just felt right between you and your partner. And there was no denying it. And that's what I love about your process. I think there was one moment where Alec and Emily are making out. And, right. <laughs> uh, you know, in the stage direction, it said, you know, he makes a lot of noise offstage, so they stop doing what they're doing. But your advice was, you know, let's not. Let's just keep going. And we waited till I got on stage to sing the Virginia Wolf song, but I did it in more of a menacing way of I caught you. And it was a great spin on that scene. If we hadn't been throwing ideas out and trying it in different ways, and that's what I love about your technique. It was like, let's keep trying, let's keep changing and let's find what actually is going to be perfect. Like you said, these actors, this scenario, this scene and that personally during that rehearsal blew me away because I was like, oh, this is this is it. Like, this is how we're going to do it.
2: Well, you guys are great. And I think that's why I love working with improv actors too because I'll, I'll admit that a lot of actors get thrown by the process of let's try it a different way. Let's try it a different way. I think a lot of actors, their process is to read the script and intellectually understand the best way of performing it. So they try to, it's like they try to do the script right, but they're working from their heads. What I like to do is let's try the opposite, you know, let's try everything. And that way the actor's performance never really gets stale. You don't develop habits in the rehearsal process that kind of allows you to phone in a performance. Now you've done it 12 different ways and you end up choosing the way on opening night that fits that moment fits that unique moment on opening night whatever that is but a lot of actors that's frustrating for because they want to get it they want to get it right and a director who's constantly changing his mind and saying no let's do it this way let's do it now switching it up switching it up go back to the other way now go back the other direction oh what do you want grant you know it's like what you... oh Some of them get frustrated, but there's a, I guess, a method to the math and what I want is spontaneity. I want truth and I want to explore dynamics. And that means that you can't predetermine, and this is a Meisner quote, nobody, not even the playwright can predetermine how life is going to live out on stage, sensitively and instinctively. So you're going to set up certain parameters, like we're going to say this line. Like just in scripted performance, is really the same as improv. There's parameters. It's like, we're going to yes and, (laughs) you know, we're going to establish a relationship. We're going to figure out what's going on. There's just a few more parameters. So we're going to say these lines as written, word perfect, but we're going to rewrite the subtext to how we feel makes sense. Sometimes the blocking is given and that's the staging that the director might say, you're going to hit that mark. So we do a lighting special on you there, but, but there's a lot of freedom and spontaneity involved and i try to rehearse in a way or encourage actors to rehearse in a way where they don't decide this is the moment Ah aha and again i think some a lot of act i mean i love that you get really appreciated working with me because i'm telling you some actors don't and it's because i never as soon as they start to be like ah but grant this is it this is the moment i'm going to challenge them and be like no it's not Yeah. As soon as you decide you're ruined, you know, it's like you're going into a job interview and you're going to answer the question that you prepared for, but they might ask you something else. Unprepared. They might ask you, what'd you eat for breakfast this morning?
1: Also put that in your performance. I am Glenn Gary. I can recall every second act, your attitude towards me sucked so bad on stage <laughs> you were such an asshole, that it made me more of an asshole. And I loved that our exchange, like every night was different because it should be. And yeah. it's based on what you're giving me. And you were giving me so much fucking attitude and disdain and snarkiness that I was like, you're a fucking asshole. And I was like, <laughs> I love it. I love that we get to do that on stage and be different people and affect each other in a way that I'm always telling my improvisers, you need to pick an emotion and don't come into this scene flat. And then your job is to use your emotional choice to affect your partner for some sort of change. And that's what I love about your technique.
2: Well, I love the word you use, give. That's a great thing that I learned from improv is that you are, you're giving to your scene partner. And in the Meisner technique, you do a lot of work. You realize you learn collaborative theater as well, for sure. But the one thing that I think maybe unique about it is I wouldn't say it's about choosing an emotion, but becoming aware of what you're really feeling, you know, right now and allowing that to happen. So one thing I realized is a lot of artists try to create conflict, they try to force it, and they try to provoke, instead of becoming aware of what already is really happening. There's conflict everywhere. There's conflict in this moment, you know, right now between us, This conflict, you know, and once you become aware, there's conflict in the world today of that and just use that. I mean, that's realism. That, I think, is where a lot of great acting comes from. The truth of the moment. What's really happening here? And I think you can bring that into improv also. You know, a lot of times with the improv scenes, like actors, they do want to be funny and they they end up being like really quirky and I think a lot of times saying too much. Some of the strongest choices are just when an actor grounds the scene and plays it, like really reacts emotionally to it in a very real way. That ends up being so funny also. Because they're bringing an emotional energy to it that's authentic, and that grounds the scene. Del Close wrote that great book, Truth and Comedy. The truth is sometimes so hilarious, and then often as improvisers, we come backstage, we're like, I don't, I don't know, what did I do? I don't even why were they laughing? It was like you just reacted to that in a real way. That's the kind of stuff you learn with the Meister technique. Is really how to become mindful and aware and expressive with your real emotions, how to find conflict that is already happening, and then how to put yourself under an imaginary set of circumstances and how to use your imagination. The last thing I'll say about the technique is that we do really work on your imagination and developing that. And that can be practiced. And an actor that has a vivid imagination or improv- improviser that has a vivid imagination is a very good artist because you can take whatever the audience gives you and make
1: it something creative, you know, make it something interesting. That is like the best wrap up we've had on all of our education series ever. I mean, that was really a great summary of what it is. Um, Hey, you know, in wrapping up, tell our listeners where they can go to get information about Pension Ouch and classes.
2: Yeah, well, right now we are working out of a studio in Kirkwood. It's a small theater and we have a website. I'm sure you could Google us, Pension Ouch Theater. We have an education page and there's a couple of videos that kind of show what we do and kind of discuss a little bit more what the technique is. But what I always like to do is meet with students and get to know them personally, like just um, a little bit and then allow them to audit a class. But what I will say is a one class audit, I don't feel like is enough. Right now I'm teaching on a month to month basis ongoing. I'd say if you really kind of want to taste for it, then do a whole month, see how it feels, you know, see how a class feels and you'll know if it's the right place for you or not. And, you know, sometimes it's a journey. I know a lot of actors that come and they do the miser technique for a while and take a few years off and then come back and you never know where your journey is going to be as an actor. Just stay open. But you also don't want to develop a habit for spreading yourself thin and not having any roots anywhere. And we have so many good students that come in the theater, but every now and then it frustrates me to see actors that kind of don't dive in deep. They just audit a class, but don't actually give it a chance because whatever you do, you kind of have to really go for it.
1: Um, Speaking of going for it, what's up next for you? I hear you got rent. Yeah,
2: something. Yeah, Right, so this couldn't be more well. If you know me, then you would know that this makes sense. Most of the works I've produced has been plays and uh, straight plays. No, uh, well, some gay plays also. No, I'm yeah. just well, uh, Hedwig. <laughs> lot, it out of the park. I'll just yeah, exactly. Uh, no, yeah, we're very big on the queer plays. We love that shit. Uh, but yes, no, um, uh, a lot of it has been non-musical theater, mm-hmm. if you will, and we've done one musical in our 10 year history. And that was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And that was so fun, such a blast. And now we're producing the musical Rent, which I fucking love that show. (laughs) Um, I am a total rent head. I know all the lyrics. I love it, And yeah, I got kind of hooked up and we're producing, I would call it a concert version of the show at Pullman yard, which is right across the street from us. So yeah they're calling it the Pratt Pullman district now where the Van Gogh exhibit is going on but that's going to be a blast it's going to be on christmas which is when the show takes place yeah. hello december twentieth. Uh, yeah <laughs> uh, so i'm really excited about this and i'm nervous cuz we haven't started rehearsals but yeah i'm uh, i can't wait uh, this is this is, this is <laughs> i think we will i think we will we we definitely have some Really talented artist. Uh, you know, I'm nervous. I, I haven't directed many musicals, but I think the same rule applies. What I'm hoping to accomplish is authenticity. And we have some beautiful performers and singers and so with unique qualities. So I hope that we can really bring that out and uh, bring out a truth in the work, an emotional truth. And I don't think that's hard to do because this story is still very relevant. about gentrified neighborhood and it's about a pandemic yeah yeah so it's like all right we get it (laughs) it's still going on 30 years later you talked about Gary, glenn ross it was so nice to have a a work where you can be angsty and loud and scream and say fuck and you know all that you get to really let loose
1: yeah because nobody says the word fucking rent right
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> well well but but i'm saying with rent it's you, there's a lot of emotions and a, it's lot of, yeah. a lot of you know it's rock and roll and rock mm-hmm. and roll is just about letting loose you know and I, I think that's a that's a beautiful thing to be able to have a to be able to let loose as a performer and have a cathartic experience you don't always get that sometimes you don't get that experience, but to have a cathartic experience and to do that with an audience is just really cool. It's really, really cool. So we're excited about this and we hope it's an ongoing relationship. with We're
1: definitely going to be coming to see it. That's right. You know, Pension Ouch Theater. If you haven't been, get your ass over there, um, support them. They're doing great work. Thank you so much, Grant, for being on with us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you and until next week i am john behal and i'm chip powell and scene
0: thanks for listening to the whole world In theater podcast a podcast with more facts than an hour of fox news The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive, producer, writer, and tender of The Secret Improv Garden is Chip Powell. The producer, writer, and IT specialist is John Mihalik. IT. So, you turn your computer on and off? (laughs) Uh. Original music by The Gentle Readers. Our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. At this point, like two out of three, come on, like please? Whole World Improv Theatre is a 501c3 3 nonprofit theater Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com, And remember, it's tax deductible. If you need to save money, not giving it to the government is a great start. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And coming to find out having some kind of dental problem or jaw problem or acquiring a staph infection MRSA on your face is not at all conducive to being a voiceover person. I can can still barely open my mouth, so I'm sorry. I'll be back with more kookiness coming couple weeks, I hope. The producer, writer, and IT specialist is John Mihalik. Yeah, it, more like idiot, idiot technology. <laughs> Am I right? Oh, yep. I can't even talk. Uh, the other week, um, I was on support with Apple for about three hours trying to figure out why this firewall thing. So, um, proxy. Oh, jeez. See, I'm one, one, one to talk. I'm like a, a dinosaur when it comes to technology. On the phone for three hours uh, with Apple support the other week and it turns out they could not figure out this very obscure anomaly that I was having with the technology and I didn't pay my bill. I didn't pay my bill. And the poor Canadian customer service lady couldn't figure out what was going on. Neither could I. And then I got a notice that I hadn't paid my bill. I didn't tell her that, though. felt really bad. And she was really apologetic as a Canadian, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't. Eh. That's more Minnesota. But um, it was probably the nicest customer service person I've ever come in contact with. She kind of made me want to move to Canada. And everyone just seems really sweet there. Not like in the United States, where we just become a little bit of bullies with each other. We just bully each other all day and night and those Canadians they have something going on I don't know that's right I apologize for that terrible Canadian accent to any Canadians actually listening it's been a long holiday week oh don't you know